morning, I'm going to be um, talking about uh, humility. And um, it's been based on um, a book that I, I've had on my bookshelf for quite a long time by a guy called Andrew Murray, and I really commend it to you. So it's a very small book, only about 100 pages long. And I read it a few years ago, and I don't know, from the end of sort of last year, I've um, had it sort of, sort of calling to me from the bookshelf, and I thought, I really must read that again. And, um, and anyway, so it's, and it's, and I read it, and it's, it's really given me a lot to think about. And because um, lots of the, obviously lots of scripture is very countercultural, and obviously lots of, you know, the teachings of Jesus, you know, are very uh, countercultural as well. And um, yeah, it's just made me reflect a lot. So Andrew Murray was born in South Africa in, in sort of 1828, I think, but educated in Scotland and Holland and um, uh, wrote a, quite a few books. Um, he wrote another book called Complete Surrender, which is also very good as well. And, um, and it's, it's, it contains in it sort of, well, I'll take you through some of, the, some of the key themes that sort of stood out for me. On, you know, it's like one of those times when you read the Bible and you think, how did I miss that before? And, and there are themes as you, you know, we, we often read bits of the Bible in sort of in chunks um, and we don't see necessarily stand back and see the big picture and see things that are scattered through the Bible. And you think, well, how, you know, why, why is, what's that all about? And why is Jesus saying that? And, you know, and how come scripture is so clear and I missed it? So the spoiler um, for this um, uh, talk is that humility is a, a distinguishing, or should be a distinguishing feature, uh, a mark of our discipleship, our walk with Jesus, and that meekness and humility are the main ways that followers of Jesus should be known. So what is humility? Well, in, it's, it's very difficult to define, but essentially, it's in Christian terms, it's having complete dependency on God, having complete dependency on God. And the flip side of that would be pride, where you're inwardly focused and you're thinking um, about yourself. It's a loss of pride would be a loss of humility and a dependence on the self, whereas um, being humble would be having complete dependency on God. And at its simplest level, uh, God is the creator. He created us in his image. And so we are creatures. He's our God. He's our creator. And we only exist in the first place and ongoing through the very fact he holds us in his hand. At any point in time, he didn't wish us to exist. We wouldn't exist. We exist solely because of him. And so being humble and emptying ourselves in front of the Lord simply acknowledges our position as created beings, yielding ourselves to, to God. But in our fallen state, we know that we're, we're not... Um, uh, perfect, and that our reality is far from this. So, how should we seek to live? And you know, and how you know, what does the uh, if we look at the the words of Jesus and we look at the way he lived his life, what does that tell us? So, I'll be looking at quite a few bits of scripture. And um, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. I'm going to read them, but you, you're very welcome to join me as we as we walk through um, these bits of scripture. So, I'm going to start off with Philippians, Philippians two, and I'll start at verse five. And it says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he was Christ. These are not worldly characteristics. So he came, he is the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. He came down and was of no reputation. 
He came in the form of a servant and humbled himself and even humbled himself and was obedient to death by crucifixion. And let's take a look at Jesus' life and the, the humility in his life. And let's, let's look at how he describes himself. So now I'm going to go to the book of John. And there'll be quite a few uh, verses from the book of John. But they'll be in sequential order, so it'll be quite easy for us to skip through. So John 5, verse 19. And I'm reading from the uh, ESV. John 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And in verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in verse 41, he says, I do not receive glory from people. And in 6.38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in 7.16, he says, he says, Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but him who sent me. And in 8.28, John 8.28, it says, So Jesus said to them, when you, have, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And in verse 50, 8 verse 50, right at the bottom, it says, Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And a couple more. We're going to John 14 now, verse 10. Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And in verse 24, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the words that you hear are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So what can we see in all this? This is very, very clear all the way through. Jesus you know, described himself in ways that were very self-effacing. He was acknowledging his absolute submission to the Father, to the Father's power, to the Father's authority, and to the Father's glory. And we know that acting in this way brought him a lot of peace and a lot of joy in his life. He got up every morning before light to spend time with his Father in prayer. So... What about his example? Let's, let's look at, we've looked at his example and the way he himself viewed uh, his relationship with the Father. Let's look at his teachings. And perhaps a, a famous bit of scripture is in um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 3. And, and I'll go to verse 5 as well. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So where it says poor in spirit, that always kind of, it was never clear to me particularly sort of what that was about. Um, but the word, um, the word spirit is the normal word for, for, for spirit, it's pneuma. But in, in Greek, the word for poor is ptokos. And, and, and it means somebody who is beggarly or poor or helpless or destitute. And that made it a bit clearer for me. So 
You know, why would somebody who's poor in spirit, when we use the word poor, we mean somehow lacking, but why would somebody who's poor in spirit, um, you know, why would the kingdom of heaven be theirs? And from the meaning of the word poor in the Greek, it's somebody who's a beggar. You know, a beggar reaches out their hands and has nothing and asks for everything and depends on somebody to give them something. And so this is why the poor in spirit would... Uh, That's why theirs is the kingdom of heaven, because they're seeking from God and they're holding out their hands and they're asking God for what they need. And the meek, the, the Greek word for the meek here just means humble and gentle and somebody who accepts God without resistance. So blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And in Matthew 18, uh, verse 4, is quite a famous um, passage. And um, where, where uh, he said, the, the disciples brought a small child to Jesus. Um, well, actually, I'll read the first little bit. It says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And verse 4 says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so what is a child, you know, a a small child is very much dependent on their parents for their ideas. They just follow their example. They reflect on their sayings and their outlook and copy what they do. And they want to be loved and they find meaning in the things that their parents do. And they find meaning in their parents' existence because they haven't yet formed their own personality in a way that they can act independently. And so this is very much the, the teaching we've got about inheriting the kingdom of heaven, about being totally dependent on the Lord. So the kingdom of heaven is designed for those who really rely and wholly rely on the Lord. And it's also very clear that these um, character traits are really valued um, and rewarded in the kingdom of heaven as well. So I'm skipping around a bit now, but in Matthew 23, 11, you can just let me do these if you like, but you're welcome if you're quick. Matthew 23, 11. It says, The greatest among you shall be your servant. And in Luke 14, 11. It says, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And in Luke 22, 26 and 27, it says, For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And then in John 13, verse 14, He's talking about washing uh, of feet. And actually, I'll start in verse 12. He said, um, when when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So if we're truly the disciples of Jesus, then we should understand that humility is our first and most essential element of our discipleship, of our walk with him. And Jesus clearly tells us to serve one another. It's a command. It's not something that if you're feeling like it, you should do it or you should aim and strive to be. He's issuing us, he issued the disciples there quite a clear command. And what what is a, a servant? Well, a faithful servant is somebody who does the will 
of their master and seeks to please their master, and we should, we should follow that. And as creatures, we talked about being, I talked about being sort of uh, created creatures of, uh, of the almighty God. You know, he's our nothing before God. To be nothing before God should be our greatest glory. And we should not seek our own exaltation, but his, because he is our God. Now, in the book, Andrew Murray made three observations, which I thought were really good. And he, and, um, he was looking about, at people and, um, uh, in the church, I guess. And his first one was that it's, it's very possible to practice being a disciple uh, very enthusiastically and still lack humility. And we only have to think of the disciples who were with Jesus for three years and were walking with him, eating with him, listening to him, learning from him, day in, day out. And at the Last Supper, they were still arguing which among them would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How could that be? And yet, we're like that every day. The second thing Andrew Murray noticed was that we're, we are powerless to conquer um, our pride on our own. There's no way in our fallen human state that we can do that. We have to... Um, we should be acting lovingly to others, but fully relying on God to be able to do so. And how often do we, on a daily basis, you know, sort of um, um, try and uh, pretend that we're, or maybe even think we are, sort of being positive about somebody, but almost damning them with faint praise and saying, oh, well, they, they did a really great job, but there's a but in there somewhere. Or it would have really been better if we'd have done it this way. And all the time, maybe secretly, we're thinking, well, actually, it would have been better had I done it. But the fact is, I didn't do it. Somebody else did it. And thirdly, um, it's only by having Christ in us that we can truly become humble. And we only have to look at the example of James or Paul or Peter, um, whose lives were completely transformed after the, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So if we think about sort of pride and the command and, and, and the command of Jesus to be humble and to live uh, lives of humility, then that, that's of immense importance to the way we live our lives as individuals, and it's of immense importance to us as a church, as a corporate body, because it doesn't matter how we serve or how well we serve or what we think other people think of how well we serve. That's completely irrelevant. That's not mentioned in Scripture at all. The fact is, we're just commanded to be servants and to serve each other. And Jesus is, is essentially saying, look, just forget everything else. Forget how you appear in the eyes of other people. Just look upon me only and serve me only, and I will lift you up. And by the way, I will lift you up at the time I think you should be lifted up and in the manner I wish to lift you up. And actually, one thing I really like about the front of this book is that somebody's put just an empty bowl on it, which I think is great. It's about just being completely full um, with the Spirit. So it's, very, it's a very somber thought, then, to think that we're being almost sort of... that our love for God is being measured by the way we treat each other and in our relationships. And it's easy to think sometimes that we're very humble to God, and I've been in prayer and humbled myself before God, but actually that's not the acid test. The acid test is how I interact with other people and the humility I show in my daily interactions, be, about, be that at work or be that at church or, or elsewhere. That's, what, that's where humility before God is made real. It's easy to be humble with the mouth and not humble with the heart and in our actions. And seemingly insignificant acts of, of, of daily life 
um, are very important um, and can demonstrate whether uh, demonstrate our humility. So if you go to Romans 12.10, or listen to me go to Romans 12.10. It says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. No, it doesn't. That's in Romans 10. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And in verse 16 it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And in another translation I had, it said, associate with people of low position and do not be conceited, which I liked. Or don't be wise in your own estimation. In Ephesians 5, 21. It says we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And in Philippians 2, 3, it says to consider others better than ourselves. So often we think of, of, of um, wanting to achieve visible virtues in our discipleship, in our walk with Jesus, sort of boldness and zealousness and joy. But actually, we should be striving first for the softer uh, virtues, the gentler virtues. We're being told by Jesus to seek meekness and lowliness and poverty of spirit. And those things was what I was saying about them being very countercultural. We do not value those things. If we're Jesus' disciples, then we should be able to be markedly different in the way we act. We should be seen to be Jesus' disciples. And do the, would people outside this church see us in that way? Or do they see us striving to be the kind of people that are valued in the world? People who are bold, maybe charismatic, successful, slick, smart, assertive, maybe sometimes a bit defensive or touchy or lacking in modesty. But we've seen that we, you know, we may have given our lives to Christ, but we need to follow his example and be humble. And, it, and it's very easy to have the pride of holiness while secretly, secretly thinking ourselves better than others or higher than others. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century US revivalist preacher, said, nothing sets a person so much out of the devil's reach as humility. And we've all heard the phrase, prize comes before a fall. And of course, if we're at the bottom, then there's not far to fall and you're not going to get hurt. I think it's also important, I was thinking, that um, to know what humility is not. And, and it's not being completely consumed by our own sinfulness. You know, we, it's good to be mindful of our sin, but more as a monument to God's redeeming love. We should be aware of our sin always and strive not to sin. But in fact, we should be more mindful of the love of God and the grace of God that, that's redeemed us. And being occupied, I think, with ourself can also include constant self-condemnation and, and self-denunciation. And, and when you're inwardly looking like that, it can resist a, a humble spirit. And, and I think it can make... Um, kind-heartedness and compassion more difficult when you're inwardly focused like that. And it's also um, possible, I think, that believers can, can bring blessings to um, other people and, and yet still lack humility. And, and Andrew Murray talks about that in his book. And he said that's, um, that 
that's, that's true. People can um, maybe not be so humble, but they can bring blessings to other people. But maybe the real work of their faith is being hindered. Maybe some of those blessings are more transitory than they otherwise would have been. And maybe that they themselves will not achieve the life of holiness that you know, God uh, potentially has for them. Um, F.B. Mayer, the Baptist pastor and evangelist at the turn of the 20th century, um, had a really nice little story. And it said, it said, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above another and that the taller we grow, the easier we can reach them. But now I find that God's gifts are on shelves and the lower we stoop, the more we get, which I kind of like. So we should seek every opportunity to humble ourselves before God and other people and set our hearts on doing this as a priority in our lives. And... Um, and in this world of striving to get to the top and the world thinking or seeing success in a very different way, it is completely uh, against uh, the current culture, but it's nevertheless very clear biblical teaching. You know, we heard in Luke 14, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In James 4.10 as well, it said, humble yourselves before God and he will exalt you. And in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So at the beginning of this talk, I said that the glory of the creature was uh, being a vessel for the creator, being empty to be filled by God. And Christ described himself as the living water, and water always fills the lowest places first. And I want to finish by um, a quote from Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. Will you join me in a short prayer? Lord God, I just want to thank you for uh, the life of Andrew Murray and the scripture he highlighted, Lord, and uh, highlighting humility as the, as the greatest um, desire um, that we should have, Lord, in our, in our walk with you. Lord, I thank you for clarity of scripture and the fact that we've got the freedom to read it um, as we wish. Lord, I thank you for the life and the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, especially um, the way he taught about humility, Father, and, and how we should be striving in our relationships with other people. Lord, I pray that we may all grow in our humility to be more like Christ and to be servants to other people. Lord God, may you see our service and our love to others, and may it be pleasing to you. Heavenly Father, you alone are worthy of praise. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.